Here's a, some of the deepest cuts are in Los Angeles. As I say, I taught an after-school program in the Los Angeles schools for five years before coming up here to Whidbey Island. It's called Radio Club. Wonderfully successful after-school arts enrichment, and it turned out um, it became an intervention program because working in Radio Club, uh, kids raise their English uh, language arts scores a full level. Okay. So some of the deepest cuts are coming in Los Angeles. I know because a year ago, October, when the debt bubble began to burst, at least in the housing market, Los Angeles stopped all after-school funds. All after-school funds. Okay, Superintendent Raymond Cortinas there has already sent notices to 5,200 of the district's 80,000 employees last month telling them they were losing their jobs. That's 7.5% of the workforce gone. He said, I've been superintendent of the five major school districts and had responsibility for cuts for years, but not of this magnitude, not this devastating, he said. And there's no end in sight. Uh, he cut his district's $12 billion budget this school year by a billion, has prepared $600 million in cuts for the term beginning in the fall, and is looking ahead to a deficit for the following year of $263 million. I don't see this being over until 2014 or 2015. Well, for a certain group of teachers, that's not going to be a problem. No. These are the teachers who are languishing in New York City's rubber rooms. But there's light at the end of the tunnel again. Oh, that tunnel crowded. New York City and its teachers unions have agreed to do away with the rubber rooms, which are full of teachers accused of wrongdoing or incompetence. Under the agreement, teachers the city is trying to fire will no longer be sent to the rubber rooms known as reassignment centers, where the teachers show up every school day, sometimes for years, doing nothing and drawing full salaries. The rubber rooms! Where's my teacher? He's in the rubber room. Instead, these teachers will be assigned to administrative work or non-classroom duties in their schools while their cases are pending. The articles in newspapers and magazines detailed teachers running businesses out of the rubber rooms or dozing off for hours on end. Now, who's in there? Well, maybe people who are truly legitimately, you know, uh, are responsible for inappropriate action, shouldn't be teachers, they're incompetent, maybe they fall asleep for hours and end in class, or maybe they're doing businesses out of their classrooms. But what about the innocent? What about the teachers who are innocent of the charges? Well, one, it appears, is Steve Ostrin. In fact, he is innocent. He taught at Brooklyn Technical High School and has been in the rubber room on Chapel Street for more than five years. This is after a student accused him of kissing her when the two were alone in a classroom. He's been acquitted of the charges of endangering the welfare of a minor in a criminal trial. He's innocent. But he remains in the rub room because the education department does not want him back in the classroom. So they can send him to purgatory on a whim. Oh, no! a soldier boy in the twilight of my youth when I still could feel love and a trust in above for the truth I fought with bravery then I left my gun behind but the misery I've seen Never wiped itself clean from my 
Recently, President Obama ordered his health secretary to issue new rules aimed at granting hospital visiting rights to same-sex partners. The White House announced the rule changes, which will also make it easier for gay men and lesbians to make medical decisions on behalf of their partners. 
Every day, all across America, patients are denied the kindness and caring of a loved one at their sides, Mr. Obama said in his memorandum, adding that rules could also help widows and widowers who rely on friends and members of religious orders who care for one another. But he says gay men and lesbians are uniquely affected because they are often barred from visiting partners with whom they have spent decades. It's a huge deal, said David Smith, vice president of policy for the Human Rights Campaign, which worked with the White House to develop the memorandum. Nearly every hospital in the country will now be required to provide hospital visitation rights for LGBT families. It's an enormous step. In the absence of equal marriage rights in most jurisdictions, this step provides an essential right to LGBT families for a gay person or a lesbian person to spend time with their partner in a critical situation. In some instances in the past, hospitals have barred bedside visits by the person who has held the medical power of attorney for a patient. Gay rights advocates said the rules change was inspired by one of those cases involving a same-sex couple. Janice Langben and Lisa Pond. After Ms. Pond was stricken with a fatal brain aneurysm, Ms. Langman was denied visiting rights in 2007 by a Florida hospital. Although Ms. Langman had power of attorney and she and Ms. Pond were parents to four children, (laughs) four children, the hospital refused for eight hours to allow her and the children to see Ms. Pond, her partner, for 18 years. Ms. Pond died as Ms. Langman tried in vain to get to her side. Ms. Langman, represented by Lambda Legal, a legal advocacy organization, brought suit against the hospital Jackson Memorial in Miami, but lost. Now, Mr. Obama called her on Air Force One to say that he had been moved by her case. I was so humbled that he would know Lisa's name and know our story, Ms. Langman said in a telephone interview. He apologized for how we were treated. For the last three years, that's what I've been asking the hospital to do. Even now, three years later, they still refuse to apologize to the children and I for the fact that Lisa died alone. 